Texarkana, Texas is truly beginning to blossom as a city. We have the best schools. We have Texarkana College and Texas A&M University Texarkana. We are rapidly becoming a transportation hub as the I-49 and I-69 corridors merge with Interstate 30 right here in Texarkana. Nice restaurants and retail stores abound. Giant car dealerships, financial institutions of all descriptions, as well as outstanding medical facilities dress the landscape. We have a wonderful city park in great neighborhoods from the newly constructed to beautifully mature and now revitalized neighborhoods in once blighted parts of town. We've done it all without the help of alcohol sales in our stores. In the middle of May, we have to decide whether or not to bring beer and wine into Texarkana, Texas grocery, convenience or any store with a permit. Promoters claim we will reap vast financial rewards to purchase fire trucks, police cars, and build public swimming pools. But you only have to drive a very short distance to see for yourself what alcohol really brings to a community. You only have to talk to one family counselor or one seasoned law enforcement officer to understand the real costs alcohol creates. That's costs, not benefits. But do yourself a favor. When you pass a beer or liquor store, look around. What are the surroundings like? What would it look like in your neighborhood? Oh, you say, we're only talking beer and wine in grocery stores. What could be more innocent? Well, let me challenge you. Number one, the sale of beer and wine is not limited to grocery stores. Anyone with a permit can open a store anywhere they want under current ordinances. Number two, take a trip to downtown Texarkana and meet your new neighbors. Don't kid yourself. They come with a package, and an empty house, empty building, or vacant lot is perfectly suitable for their new home. When you hear proponents praising the virtues of bringing alcohol to our neighborhoods, consider the broken families, drunk drivers, and alcoholics that money can't cure. Certainly, far and away, the most valuable and most vulnerable assets Texarkana, Texas has are our children. They're young, impressionable, and curious. They're also our future. What kind of chance are you going to give them? Well, how many are here this morning that uh, live in Texarkana, Texas? Let me see your hand. Yeah. Well, it's an issue that we get to decide. We get to decide that will affect for probably generations to come whether alcohol is more readily available here on the Texas side. It's not my intention this morning. Uh, you may drink, but how many know even if you drink, you're smart enough to know that you don't want alcohol everywhere on Texas side because kids will have easier access to it. I mean, you don't have to be a brain surgeon to know that. You know that neighborhoods will deteriorate. You know that family problems will increase. And uh, I want to encourage you to join me and take a stand against bringing alcohol to Texarkana, Texas in the coming days. 
Um, you'll see there's an insert in your bulletin. Uh, it tells you the early voting. That's what my wife and I do. We just vote early where it's convenient. We have lunch together. It's at the city hall. You can see that. Uh, the early voting is coming. Actually, it starts tomorrow. The actual election is on a, Tuesday, on a Saturday, May 14th. And uh, lastly, we've got a bunch of signs here. I want to encourage you. We've got probably 30 or 40 more. Take some of these with you, particularly you in Texas County, Texas, or if you work there, and uh, put it up, and hopefully we can have a little say in our community. What do you think about that? I think it's a good idea. I want to take it a step further this morning, and I want to do something that I have not done in the 20 years that I've been here, but I want to dedicate this morning's message to understanding what the Bible has to say about alcohol, because the Bible does say a lot about alcohol. And I'm very aware this is my third time this weekend to address a crowd of people about it, and I'm aware that in this room today, we're across the spectrum. There are some people here this morning that have never drank alcohol. It's not a part of your life. All the way to the other end, well, there are some people that are here today that struggle with alcohol so bad, or maybe you know someone, you're a, a mother, a father, a, a spouse, a child, they struggle so bad that they def desperately need the help of rehab, and some that rehab can't even help. I, I had a grandfather that died from alcoholism. He, died, he drank a case of beer a day and a pack of cigarettes. I loved him with all my heart, but he died because of alcohol. Well, everybody is somewhere between those, ex those extremes. You may be here today, and you uh, drink on occasions, special occasions you get together. You may be here on, you too drink on special occasions, but for you, every Friday and Saturday is a special occasion. I mean, you, you might uh, have been out last night partying, and you know, when you look in your car, there's some beer cans in the floor. Please don't throw them out in the parking lot when you leave. But also know that I'm glad you're here. Let me say that again. I don't care if you don't drink or do drink, I am glad you're here. I, I want to be able to communicate something to you today that I think will help you to be able to see this issue from a biblical perspective. It's certainly not, not my point to condemn you, and I'm not going to try to talk everybody out of drinking. But what I'm going to try to do this morning is, to the best of my ability, I'm going to do two, three things, actually. I'm going to share with you what the Bible talks about, even something positive it has to say about alcohol. I'm going to talk to you about the dangers of alcohol, particularly uh, drunkenness. There's no way you can get around that with an honest look in the Bible. And I'm going to share with you something about myself. I'm going to be very vulnerable today. Because when I was a teenager, I drank for about three years of my life. I'll talk about those experiences. I decided a number of years ago that I'm not going to drink it, it today in my life. I'm not going to drink as a believer, as a Christian leader. I'll tell you why as well. But uh, let me say this too. If you're a teenager, I want you to listen to me. If you're in your teens, and here's my message to the teenager, don't drink. And I'll tell you why. Don't drink. If you're doing drugs, don't do them. If you're already into the lifestyle, I'm going to encourage you to get away from it because it will bring some heartache and pain in your life. Beyond just the fact that it's against the law, I want to tell you, alcohol is a gateway drug. It is a gateway drug, as we'll talk about, to other drugs. You know, meth and crack cocaine, and on down the line, marijuana. Alcohol is simply the starting place, not just for other drugs, but it's a starting place for a lot of pain in your life. Uh, you, listen, you need to kind of wake up and smell the roses here. The reason your boyfriend or your date wants you to drink before you go out is, come on, just fool around. Or maybe let's flip the roles. The reason your girlfriend or that gal you're with, the reason she wants you to drink is she wants you to loosen up a little bit. That's a problem. If you're a Christian seeking the Lord, that is a problem. It is a gateway. It's a gateway to violence. A whole lot of fights are started because alcohol is involved. Police Chief Harrelson on the Arkansas side said in a paper article this week, a great article about the role of alcohol, he said, and I believe my numbers are right here, but in, say, 38 calls that are made the police make regarding domestic violence, 34 of them, alcohol is involved. 
I'm telling you, listen, if you're a young person, you don't need the problems that it brings. Life is hard enough without complicating your life with pregnancy, sexually transmitted diseases, other drugs. Somebody is going to be driving and drinking. I'm telling you, you don't need that complication. It's violence. There's a whole lots of things that come down the pike. So this morning, I want to encourage you to give me an honest listen. Let's look at what the Bible has to say on both sides of the issue and then make a decision as an informed Christian who's not only looking at the Bible but listening to your conscience. It is a wonderful gift God has given to all of us, that little barometer on the inside that says this is okay for you and this is wrong. And if you combine the Bible and a conscience that's been attuned to God's Holy Spirit, how many know that's a good thing? So I've entitled the morning's message, Alcohol, per Alcohol Permitted but not prescribed. And you say that with me, permitted, but not prescribed. Let's look into the Bible together. Turn to first to the Old Testament, Psalms chapter 104, Psalms 104. Let's begin there. And let me say this, the Bible does not forbid alcohol in moderation. Now, some of you I know are just wiping your brow right now, but the temperate use of wine was a normal and accepted part of life, particularly in the Old Testament. We're going to look at Old and New Testament this morning. We're going to look at both sides of it. But that was a part of their world. Psalm 104, verse 15, the psalmist is saying this to God. It say, he says, you, God, give us wine that makes... And all the choir said? Come on now, you can interact with me a little bit. This is kind of a, an awkward subject. But the Bible does say that wine gives you a happy heart. Included in that, of course, is other forms, beer and whatever the case may be. It's just a fact. But the question I'm going to ask you during this message is, is that the way you want to get a happy heart? Because it can bring a lots of other things that are in your life. Proverbs 31 tells us alcohol is for the dying. It's a prescription for pain. It's wine for those in bitter distress. Let them drink to forget their poverty and remember their troubles no more. It's just, it's there. It's in the Bible. Genesis 14, Abram, after he had won a great victory over, uh, over the enemies, he'd got his nephew Lot back. You remember the story. Melchizedek, if you've ever heard of him, he is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. He was a priest of God. He comes out after Abram's victory. He brings out bread and wine. He didn't bring out, you know, bread and Dr. Pepper. He brought out bread and wine, and he was a priest of God. 1 Samuel 16, verse 20. Jesse responded, Jesse now, of course, the father of David, and David is going to bring his, his brothers something food to eat. There's a battle. This is right before David and Goliath. So daddy sends out a donkey loaded with bread and a wineskin full of what? Guess what? Full of wine. I mean, it's there. It's in the Bible. So let's be, let's be honest and take a peek at it. Now, here's the deal. In the Bible, uh, some scholars believe that not all wine was fermented. That's kind of out there. Some, some would make you drunk. Some wouldn't. Uh, oftentimes, wine would be diluted with water. Um, drinking was very different in their world than it is today. Wine was prescribed by Paul in the New Testament for stomach problems. 1 Timothy 5.23, don't drink any only water. The reason was because water was impure. They didn't have chlorine, and water was not clean to drink, and sometimes your stomach would, would get uh, upset. So he said you ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you're sick so often. Now listen, if he'd have written that today, he'd have said, take a Tums, okay? He'd have said, don't, you know, don't drink water out of the ditch. Drink tap water and you won't get sick. So, and here's the biggie. Jesus drank wine. He just did. Jesus drank wine uh, uh, when um, he was at a wedding and they were out of wine. What did Jesus do? 
He turned water into wine, and then his disciples at communion, Passover, what did he do? You know, he, had, he, had, uh, he didn't have little elements like we have today. He had wine and he had bread. Now, Jesus didn't get drunk. This is very important. So the Bible does teach this side of the alcohol issue. It's right there. And if that's all you want to hear, go ahead and put your fingers in your ears right now. But it's going it, to, because it's a flip side to the story as well. Now, as we look into the Bible, as we look continued in the New Testament, in the writings of Paul, you don't see anything about social drinking. And that's what you and I understand alcohol in that context today. It's social drinking. You don't see anything about that in the New Testament, but you have frequent warnings from the Apostle Paul about the danger of drunkenness. And drunkenness in the life of a believer absolutely causes problems. And here's the deal. Listen, uh, is you, most people can't separate drinking from drunkenness. Lighten up a little bit this morning. Let me go ahead and tell you about my life a little bit. Now, as I said, and, and this is my third service to go around, so I don't know exactly what I've said, so if I'm repeating myself, wave at me this morning. I take my first drink when I was 15 years of age. I took it because I was playing in a high school baseball team. It was a district tournament. We lost the game, and I was riding back with a group of seniors. Now, all my life, my parents had somewhat discouraged me from it. My grandfather died an alcoholic, but that was my first drink. My second drink was with my best friend, the same best friend that introduced me to marijuana because alcohol is an entry point. It comes into your life. And I want to tell you, from 16 to 19, alcohol was a part of my life. Now, I'm not proud of it today. I, actually, I'm ashamed of it. And the few regrets I have in my life for things that I've really done that were wrong happened in that period of life when my life was controlled by alcohol and marijuana. Can I just be this direct? I hope the statute of limitations has expired in my confession this morning. But I'm telling you, my friends changed when I started drinking. My friends changed. All my friends, my new group of friends wanted to do was to party, and that's all we did. And guess what happened to our grades? My grades went down, my ambition for success went down, and all I wanted to do was have a good time. And my, Actually, my grades were getting so bad in college that I left, and I was scared I was going to get arrested, and I almost was killed one time because of alcohol. I was kind of consumed with it, and I just darted out in traffic, not paying attention to two cars going just like this, and I almost lost my life as an 18 or 19-year-old because alcohol has the potential to do that. And I'm telling you, friend, it controlled my life until I met Jesus. And when I met Jesus, that thing that controlled me no longer had bondage over my life. That thing that at first I did it because I wanted it, because I enjoyed it. Then I did it because everybody else was doing it, and I kind of had to do it. Are, are you with me? That thing that started out as an occasional became an everyday thing of life. And how many know if you're drinking or smoking when you get up in the morning, can I tell you what? You have got a problem. And all the choir said, Amen. all right, loosen up on me this morning now. Because we got about 20, 30 minutes of this. Some of you are a little bit uncomfortable. Let me tell you what I've decided I'm going to do as your pastor. I don't have to worry about getting fired tomorrow. It, it, if you don't want to come back, you don't have to come back. But I'm going to tell you the truth. I love you enough to shoot straight with you from the Bible and from experience. This is not a job for me. I'm trying to cover your soul and watch over you and help you get to heaven and Jesus tell you, well done. I don't want to do you, your, your funeral or your kid's funeral because they died an alcoholic because I didn't have the courage to tell you something is wrong. And, and, and if you want a preacher like that, there's a lot of great ones around here. But I'm not going to do that. 
And here's what else I'm not going to do. I'm not going to condemn you. Because I'm talking to you face to faith, brother to brother and sister to sister. That's why I shared my story. Now listen, I drank back then, but I don't drink today. I made a decision in my life as I have grown uh, throughout my life that alcohol is not going to be a part of my life, and I'm going to tell you why. But I don't, I'm not going to beat you over the head this morning because I know, listen, alcohol is a part of a lot of our lives. Drugs are a part of a lot of our lives. And anything you have to sneak to do, how many know there's a little bit of a problem in that? So let's get real. I want you to just kind of loosen up this morning. You can end up on this issue wherever you want to be because it's across the deal in the Bible. And isn't it amazing how people find in the Bible whatever they want to find? Whatever you want to do, you can find it in the Bible. For example, you like smoking marijuana. Well, God made it. It's natural. It's from God, and God made fire. And here's a Bible verse. When Jesus himself said, A smoking reed shall he not quench. That has to be talking about a joint, Pastor. <laughs> Tell your neighbor you're not that stupid this morning. Just loosen up a little bit. Genesis chapter 9. Let's go there. What does the Bible say about the danger, the abuse of alcohol? What does the Bible have to say about drunkenness? Because here's the deal. Most people that drink one are going to drink what? Yeah, yeah. Back in my day, they sold alcohol in six-packs. Well, they sell it in now. How do you know that? I, how did you know they sell it in th I don't know that. See, you, you guys came to church just looking all religious and holy this morning. Genesis chapter 9. I want you to say this with me. Alcohol causes problems. Now, it doesn't look like it on television, but look what happened to Noah. Genesis chapter 9. If there was somebody that I would have thought would have stayed on the right track, it would have been Noah. Now, think about this. God tells this man, calls him a righteous man, and he builds this huge ship. Imagine, you know, this dimensions are not right, but imagine it's twice as big as this church, you know. It's big. I mean, multi-stories, all the animals. And his is the only family on the earth that's saved. Well, look at what this dummy does. He gets off the ship, verse 20. Sometimes after the flood, he plants a vineyard. One day he drank some wine, and he became what? Drunk, and he lays naked in his tent. So we got righteous Noah, built the ark, and now he's drunk. Laying naked in his tent, and here's the deal. Ham, one of his sons, verse 22, sees his father was naked. He goes outside, and he tells his brothers. And the suggestion is, is he's making fun of Dad. He's, he, there's something in it that is very dishonorable. Noah wakes up from his stupor. Can I tell you, a stupor is not good. He wakes up from his stupor. He learned what Ham had done, and then he curses his grandson, Canaan. Now, I don't understand all the dynamics of that, but I do know this. Drunkenness caused his family a whole lot of pain. Drunkenness caused a gra grandfather to curse his grandson. And it all started because this righteous man went through a door that was out there. I mean, just because I can do something doesn't mean I should do something. Just because something is, quote, right, just because it's the law doesn't mean that I should do it. Well, it gets worse than that, Genesis 19. Lot. Now, here's another guy that I would think would do the right thing. 
Lot, remember Sodom and Gomorrah, the whole picture when God destroyed those towns because of their immorality? Read about it. It's in the Bible. Lot, of course, his, his sons-in-law, they just think he's a crazy old man. They don't run out of town. Uh, his daughters and his wife, his wife turns back and becomes a pillar of salt. You'd have thought that whole thing would have got that family's attention. Now, listen to what his two stupid girl, his daughters said how they're going to preserve the family line. I guess they're thinking that they're the only ones alive. There's no children. Isn't it amazing the crazy thoughts when we think when we don't include God in our thinking? So look in Genesis 19, verse 32. Here's what these two girls said. Let's get our daddy drunk with wine, and then we'll have sex with him. Just go ahead and say yuck. Let's just get daddy drunk and have sex with him. Okay? And they both get pregnant. And then they get what they want but they're called the Moabites and Ammonites that were thorns in the side. You think the Palestinians and, Israel and Israelis have problems today? It all started right here. Noah, I'm not Noah, Abraham and the mistake he did with, with Hagar and right here the Ammonites and the Moabites, that's the source of the conflict in the Middle East today. And I want to tell you, alcohol caused it. Drunkenness caused it. And wherever you are across the spectrum this morning, I want to tell you, alcohol, drunkenness is going to bring some problems in your life. And you may be able to avoid drunkenness, but I could not. And I did not want to. Proverbs 23. Here's another one. Uh, alcohol. Go to Proverbs chapter 23. Let me throw this out too. Uh, Chief Harrison had a tremendous article, Police Chief Arkansas side, a couple days ago about the problems alcohol would bring in our community because of the Arkansas side. And again, the domestic violence, some 38, 39 calls that are answered, alcohol is involved in, I think he said, 34 of them. So alcohol is going to cause problems in your family. Just go ahead and accept it. It will happen if you bring it in there. And, in, and, and let me say this, too, for your children. If you think you can have beer in your refrigerator and your children will not drink, you are fooling yourself. If you think you can have a bottle of scotch or gin or whatever, uh, if you can think you can have that in your house and your kids are not going to taste it, you are fooling yourself. And Mothers Against Drunk Driving said one in three eighth graders are drinking alcohol today. And why are they doing that? It's because it's in the house. We're going to talk about it this morning. It's just there. Proverbs chapter 23, alcohol will cause trouble and pain. Now, here's the question. Who has trouble, who has pain, who fights, and who has bloodshot eyes? Let me see your hand. Who would like to have some extra pain in your life? Go ahead and raise your hand this morning. Come on, who wants some extra trouble in your life? Who wants to go home right now? Who wishes you, who wish you to pick a different church this Sunday morning? You get loose, and then you get right back in that kind of religious mode. But who's got bloodshot eyes? It's people who drink too much wine, who try to figure out all different kinds of strong drinks. But later, can you say the word later in verse 32? Later, it bites you like a snake with poison in its fangs. But it doesn't start that way. The way it starts is you open the door and you go in somebody's house and they say, Hey, we're glad you're here, brother. You go to a movie and you see it happening. You go in somebody's house. You go to a restaurant. Drinks for everybody. They're on me. That's where it starts. But the Bible said it's like a snake and it will bite you. I went turkey hunting yesterday morning and I'm kind of walking through the bottoms in this little creek and I look over to my left and this is Cottonmouth Watermox. And I, he's about this long which is not the scariest thing, but I promise you he was about that big around. And he's laying there kind of, you know, daring me with his old mouth about that wide, just open, just Well, the Bible said he was just kind of like asking me to come over so he could take a bite. 
That's what the Bible says alcohol is like. It's like a snake with poison in his fangs. Verse 33, your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will be confused. And all your friends want to hurry up and get to that confused state. My friends, if that's your definition of fun, you need a new definition. You'll feel dizzy as if you're in a storm in the sea. And we might add, you'll vomit. You'll have a hangover. You will have an experience with your commode. And you won't care how long it's been cleaned because you just put your head, come on. Now look at your neighbor and see if they have the voice of experience on their face. Just, 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 just look. Just, just. I'm telling you. And then somebody's got to drive home. And then you've got to go to work if you don't lose your job again. But we want more alcohol in Texarkana so we can buy another police car. Come on. Alcohol has the potential to ruin your life. Ephesians 5.18, it's a predictive passage in the book of Ephesians, the New Testament. Don't be drunk with wine because that will... Now that is a step away from the happy heart of, of the psalmist, isn't it? But I'm telling you, most people don't just stop with the happy heart of the psalmist. Most people end up with drunkenness. And you know I'm telling you the truth. It will ruin your life. Mothers with drunk driving say someone dies from a drunk driving accident every 50 minutes. We have been here, in the time we have been here, some policeman is having to go to somebody's house and tell them that their child, their baby, their husband, their wife, their mother, their best friend is dead because of alcohol. Every minute someone is injured from a drunk driving accident. These are not just information. This is reality. Whether you hurt yourself on your own or you hurt somebody. Listen to this. High school students who use alcohol or other substances or just drugs are five times more likely to drop out of school. And let me tell you this, friends. If you drop out of school, you will struggle the rest of your life. That's not some preacher just telling you. It's a fact of life. You will beg, borrow, and steal and live with your parents till you're 30 if they let you. How many parents want that? But here's the insanity. We think we're the one and it's not going to happen to us. Can I tell you, it is deception. Teen alcohol kills 6,000 people every year. That's more than all the illegal drugs combined. More, more, more of those that overdee on cocaine and crack and all that. 6,000 lose their lives. I'm telling you, the Bible says... Drunkenness, alcohol will ruin your life. If, Isaiah chapter 5. I didn't even know this verse was in the Bible until I began to study this. Drinking will make you forget about God. Now, I want you to think about your life right now. A few minutes ago, we, were, we had our hands lifted to God. We were telling, we love you. We want to walk with you. We want your peace. We want your strength. The Bible says drunkenness will separate you from that. Look at verse 11. What sorrow for those who get up early in the morning looking for a drink of alcohol and spend long evenings drinking wine to make themselves flaming drunk. Now, now, now think about it. Berkeley verse 12. But they never think about the Lord or notice what he's doing. And can I tell you this? You will forget about God if alcohol defines your life. You just will. 
Maybe you're a man that can compartmentalize your life pretty well and you've got your Sunday and you've got your... But before you know it, it's going to squeeze God right out of your life. It will just do it. And sometimes you have to make a decision before you get there, not when you're there. See, there's a lot of people when their home experienced a flood, they said, I wish I'd have got flood insurance. It's too late. I, I, I wish my family would have... I wish we'd have dug a tornado shelter. But when the tornado comes, it's too late. But the Bible says drunkenness will separate you in your walk with God. And it's not just an old, obscure Old Testament verse. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, and can I tell you this? You've got, as a Christian, you've got two natures inside of you. You have a nature that wants God and a, nation, a nature that wants other things. I've still got it in me. I've still got it in me. It still battles in me. Well, the Bible says our sinful nature, the results are clear. And then he gives a list. But look at two of these aspects of the sinful nature. Look at verse 21. What's it say? It says drunkenness and wild parties. What was the last party you went to? You're real quiet on me now. Marty can't remember. You didn't drink that much that you forgot, did you? You just get old and forgot. Drunkenness and wild parties and other sins... Everybody say sins. Like these. I would rather tell you today, while you're alive and can make choices what a sin is, than you stand before God on judgment day and Him tell you. Let me tell you again, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So my question to you, you cannot separate the party scene from your spiritual life. You cannot do it. It will suck you down. Romans 13, 13. Here's the last one. And I could go on literally all day, and I won't. But drunkenness is associated with sexual sins and violence. Let me say it again. Drunkenness is associated in the Bible. Verse 13, it says, let us live in the right way. How many know if there's a right way, then there's also a... Yeah. Let us live in the right way like people who belong to the day which simply means Christians should be different. We should be different. We should not have wild parties or get drunk. Now, listen, in my journey, I got saved at 19. I'm telling you, some things I just quit. But other things I liked. And it took me a while for God to work that out of me. But you know what? I kept following God. And as I kept following God, it was like the Lord became more important than these other things. I remember the last time I smoked vividly because I felt it just quenched my relationship with God. I'm just telling you. Up until that point, it was cool, it was fun, but I can remember that time where I felt like I had just thrown a bucket of water on the fire of God in my life. And I didn't do it anymore. But I quit, not because I was scared or because somebody made me or I read a statistic. I quit because I was in love with Jesus and I realized, come on, that that was the most important thing in my life. Now, hear that this morning. We shouldn't have wild parties or get drunk. Notice what it says. The next sentence, there should be no sexual sins of any kind, no fighting or no jealousy. Now, any English teacher will tell you a sentence in the same paragraph is connecting thoughts together. And wild parties and drunkenness and sexual sins are connected and I'm telling you, my friends, like it or not, what I'm saying now is not politically correct. But if you have a sexual relationship with someone other than your spouse outside of a committed bond of marriage, you are sinning and will have to answer to God for it. 
But when you are drunk, you are more apt to sleep around and fool around. Don't say amen from experience now, but it is just true. You are more apt to sleep around and fool around when you're drinking. And if you want to experiment with, you know, whatever, you're more apt to do it when you're drinking. You may never do it when you're sober, but when you're drinking, if you're a woman, you'll make kiss another woman. I'm just telling you. Now listen, if you're a homosexual, you are welcome in this church. I hope you don't stay that way. Not because I'm a bigot, but because I love you enough to tell you the truth. The Bible says that's another sin that will keep people out of the kingdom of God. But I'm telling you, when you're surrounded with them in the world, when it's all over the TV screen, and all your friends are doing it, and you're drinking, you're probably going to do it too. I'm preaching way better than you're amening this morning. Let me wrap it up. Whew, go ahead and do that this morning. Let me tell you why I don't drink. And I didn't quit drinking just because I got saved. I didn't quit drinking because it no longer tasted good. I'll just be honest with you. I never liked the taste of beer. I just drank because my friends didn't. It was cheap. <laughs> but let me tell you why I don't drink today. I'm going to give you four reasons. First one is it's because I like it, and I'm afraid I'd like it too much. I could not stop with the happy heart of the psalmist. I was headed towards the drunken. I'm afraid I'd like it. I have a grandfather that died as an alcoholic when I was a young boy. I called him Gran. Gran died drinking a case of beer a day and smoking a pack of cigarettes. I know that if I drank a glass of wine to de-stress my day, at some point one glass would not be enough. Because I'm stressed every day. How about you? Look at your neighbor and just say, he just keeps telling the truth and the truth and the truth and the truth this morning. I, I like it. I'm afraid I'd like it too much. And then one drink becomes two, and then what you want to have, you have to have, which leads into the second reason I quit drinking, my children. I decided this. I was, uh, spent 10 years in California, very happy to leave and get back to God's part of the world here. But drinking was way much more accepted over there. I mean, it just, it was way more accepted. It was sold everywhere. It was just, you know, my wife cooked with wine, just blah, 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 everything. And she happened to have a jug of wine, you know, in the refrigerator, and she cooked with it, and I drank with it. And I had a baby. I had a baby. Now, I changed my habits that I had for my teenage years. But when John Henry was born, I had to ask myself a question. Do I want my children to have the problems with alcohol that I did? And I am telling you, you are fooling yourself. If you think you can have beer and wine and drink in your house and your kids are not going to get it, you're fooling yourself. And I decided at that point when my son was born that I'm going to care more about him than my right to get a little buzz. I'm just telling you. I'm going to love my child enough to make a sacrifice for that child. And I'm not regretting it. I don't want Bethany and Rebecca to have to deal with a boy in a car after that boy's had him drink or whatever you 30 pack you said you drank today. I don't want my girls to have to do that. And all the ladies said, 
I heard the other day an article about the feminist movement, you know, that told ladies, you know, free sex, everything is great. And now these same people that have come up, they don't want their kids living the life they did. They wish they'd have been monogamous and pure. And listen, if you're in a mess, get out of the mess and start living right today. But I'm telling you, the second reason I, I don't drink is because of my children. Now, let me give you the third reason. My Christian testimony is more important to me. My reputation is more important to me. I, I want to give you a scripture. Look in the book of Romans. It's, it's uh, Romans 14, 21. It's good not to drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Here's what I know. If I drank, you would think less of me. I would not have the credibility behind this pulpit if I drank alcohol. But let me say this to you. You don't have the credibility you could have if you drink alcohol from your pulpit. Because you have a pulpit of influence in the world. You have a sports complex. You know, you're a teacher and a principal in a school. You're whatever you do in life. People look up to you. And I'm just telling you, if you act just like they do, they're not going to follow you. It's a fact of life. What you do as a Christian, people are watching. You live in a glass house and you say, that's their problem. I don't think so. I think it's my problem. Because I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Jesus told me if I wanted to follow him, I needed to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. And even though myself might like another beer, or like a buzz, or like the de-stress, blah, 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 I am not living that way. Jesus matters more. Every time you drink, you got to drink again the next day. It does not last. That's why people keep popping pills, because they want it to last. Your Christian testimony, you will influence people. Young, a mentor in my life in California, a pastor, he was an alcoholic before he became a Christian. And then he started hanging around with a group of preachers that were drinking. Now don't say, oh, or condemn them. Listen, we've seen in the Bible, you can get a happy heart. It's in the Bible. But my brother started drinking again, and he slipped back into his old ways. And he came to a church meeting at the church I was in there when I was on the staff. He came there, and he was tight. He was not in a stupor. Come on, because we think we can control it. I don't need a designated driver. Bless God just speaking tongues all the way home. You're stupid. And here he is, comes to the church tight, and his credibility that was up here went guess where? He said, well, people shouldn't be like that way. Yeah, but they are. My Christian testimony is more important. Let me tell you something about me. I want to do something with my life that's great for God. I want to finish strong in this church. I, you don't know how proud I was a few weeks ago when the man from the Middle East came and was talking about the Muslim or the Christians and their persecution. Our church gave the largest missions offering in our history. We, 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 we were able to help them get a safe house. And the next week, somebody gave $5,000 more to help them get settled. I'm thinking, in a recession. I just want to, I want to be a part of a string of things like that as a Christian. That when I end my life, that it didn't fall off the edge. You know, John the Baptist in the Bible, one of the greatest men that ever lived, the precursor of Christ. You know what the angel told his parents? 
Go put it on the screen. That he was never to drink wine or strong drink. John the Baptist will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. And I want to tell you, at some point in your Christian life, if you want to move from your level of success to your significance, your God, you got to get rid of this stuff. I'm just telling you. And if you don't, you're not bad. You can do it with a clean conscience. I'm telling you, don't feel guilty or shame or condemnation. But you will limit yourself. I'm just telling you. But you can make the choice. Let me give you my fourth reason, and I am officially done. I'm a Christian leader, and God wants me to live a blameless life. Titus 1.7, an overseer, an elder, must be above reproach. He must not be a drunkard. He must not be a drunkard. Numbers 6, 2, and 3, if you've heard of the Nazarite, they were a special group of folks set apart to God. If any of the people take the special vow of a Nazarite, setting themselves apart to the Lord in a special way, they must give up wine and alcoholic drinks. So that's the pathway that I've chosen for my life. And I want to encourage you. Think about what I've said. If you feel condemnation, shake it off right now because I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to be your judge. And if you have a drink next Saturday, come to church on Sunday. Can I, can I can't be any more plain than that. But what I'm telling you is you need to let God let this absorb in your system. Because it will affect not only you, it will affect your children and your grandchildren and generations to come in your world. And my prayer for you is that your conscience in the eyes of God, your conscience is clean and pure and crisp. And you're obeying the Holy Spirit. And God is looking at you and He's pleased with your life. So that's me. You've got to make your choice. I don't do it because I like it. See, the world tells us if you like it, do it. I don't live in the world. I'm a part of another kingdom. I don't do it because I like it. I don't do it because of my children. I don't do it because of my testimony as a Christian. And I don't do it because God's called me to be the leader in the body of Christ. So, can I do it? Sure. I want you to bow your heads now. I want you just to simply do this. Have the guts to say to God, now what do I do? I want every teenager in this room, every young person in this room, if you're not drinking, I beg you, don't. I beg you as someone who cares about you, don't. And don't choose not to because Pastor Travis will be mad at you. You do it because you love God. You want to avoid drunkenness. You don't want all those pain and all those problems to come in. But listen, young person, if you are drinking or doing drugs, I beg you, quit. I beg you. And if your friends will laugh at you, get some new friends. I will be your friend. Get some new friends. Live godly and live holy. For we that are adults, we just want to just simply just open our hands and hearts to God and say, Lord, have your way in me. I want to live a life that pleases you. And I want my conscience to be at peace. And Lord, I want to pray for all these that have come this morning so faithfully to be here this morning to listen to the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that they have received this this morning, the Spirit which I've given it. Don't let any condemnation be in this room. No shame. But simply, Lord, let us have hearts that desire you. 
and desire you to give us clean conscience. That whatever we do, our hearts are clean before our God and not condemned. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us. I want you to just begin praying right now if you have a struggle in this area. It's okay to struggle. I did for years. And I could again. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you right now. Tell the Holy Spirit you want to be free. That you don't want to be in bondage. And you don't want to be controlled by alcohol and drugs. Thank God. Let it be true, Lord. 1 John 4, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. God in us is greater. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Hey, give the Lord a good hand today. God is good. And it's over this morning. We'll keep going next week if you dare to come back on something else. Hey, let's, uh, let's close with this way this morning. In just a second, we're going to have our prayer team come forwards. They'll pray with you about anything you want prayer for. But let me ask first this question. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, my issues are a little bigger than drugs or alcohol. I need to get right with God today. I need for Christ to be first in my life. You're here today and maybe you've never made that step to Christ, asking Him to forgive your sins and believe in Him. Trust Him as your Savior. Can I tell you, eternity's coming. Penny Hallison was in our service this morning. Her husband died this week in his sleep. Didn't know it. See, a lot of people live under the illusion, I'll get right with God tomorrow. Can I tell you, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Maybe you need to put your trust in Christ for salvation. Maybe you already believe in Jesus, but you're not following Him. And today, you'd like to make that step towards following Christ. You're Christian, but your Christian life has just you know, not been where it needs to be. And you want to make a step to the Lord today. If you're in either of those categories and you want to get right with God today, we'd love to pray for you. Can I just see your hand real quickly? Tell anyone this morning, I want to get right with God this morning. I want to put my trust in Christ. All right, praise the Lord. We, last week, we had a great one on Easter. Now, let me ask you this question. Here's how we're going to close. How many of you have someone in your immediate family or a very close friend that has been controlled by alcohol or drugs? Let me see your hand. Look around. I've got someone that's in, close in my world. And that person may be you that's controlled by alcohol or drugs. Here's what I know the Bible says. He whom the Son, Jesus, sets free is... Jesus can free you from this. He can free your family. He can free your friends. For some people... Rehab is a part of it, but for other people, deliverance can come in a moment. But if you're here this morning and someone you love and care about is struggling in this area and you want to put some faith and prayer behind them, our prayer team is going to be here to pray for you. If you'll just take two minutes before you go today and say, I want prayer this morning for my friend, my loved one. Or if it's you, if you've got the courage to say, you know what, I need some help. This morning's message really did something in me, but... It's got a hook in my life, and I want God to set me free. If you will humble yourself with a prayer like that, I promise you, you set yourself on the road to getting better. Because here's what I know. If you don't make a step to God in the middle of a church service, you will not do it when they do that. You will not do it. You will not do it when they offer you the bottle. You will not do it there if you cannot make a step to God when people in prayer faith because faith. So if you want prayer this morning, we'd be honored to pray with you. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet. And uh, go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to sing this chorus through one time. And our prayer team is coming right now. If you want a prayer this morning for a friend, a family member, someone struggling with alcohol, come let us pray for them now. If it's you, come let us pray for you. If there's anything else in your life you need God's help with, come.
let somebody pray today. You humble yourself.